You've been listening to guitarist Luke Fu playing Amazing Grace on his Santa Cruz OMPW. Luke is a Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum member. And this month, we'd like to get right down to it with about the science of it. This is a podcast that you will long remember. And today, we'd like to welcome a new sponsor to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break, Copa Targets, creating scanning targets for acoustic guitar players everywhere. Santa Cruz Coffee Break, a special podcast series brought to you through the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum, a place on the web where guitar players can comfortably get together and enjoy their love of great music, great players, and of course, great Santa Cruz Guitar Company guitars. Find us on the web at santacruzguitarplayers.com. Should you want to reach Santa Cruz Guitar Company, their web address is santacruzguitar.com. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is completely informal, and if you have ideas of topics you'd like to hear Richard Hoover express his thoughts on, please join us on the forum and send us a message. Please also note that all the opinions are those of the speakers and do not reflect the official positions of Santa Cruz Guitar Company, its employees, or its dealers. With all that out of the way, let's get on to this month's Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Today, along with Richard Hoover... Our interviewer, Tad, we'd like to welcome Rick Bartow to the podcast. So, without any further ado, let's talk about strings. Uh, so, yes, this is number five, and we're here today with uh, Richard Hoover, uh, the master luthier at Santa Cruz Guitar. Uh, he's brought a guest who we will let him introduce in a few minutes. And today we thought we would talk about strings. Um, there's a lot of opinion about strings, but there's also a lot of science involved. And we wanted to kind of get into the science more since that's the approach that uh, you've taken at Santa Cruz here. And I guess the place to start is, is in building a guitar, there's an awful lot of parts involved and you can't necessarily make all of them. You've controlled as much as you can. And I guess you got to a point here, Richard, where uh, you felt like strings were the next step or what was, what was your process in, in going that way? Ted, a beautiful presentation as always. You're clear as a bell. I know what you want, um, but I have one small correction here. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't bring a guest in here. Um, our uh, resident quantum physics aficionado lives here with oh, me. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, I yeah. meant He's brought him to our table today is what I should part of said. what we do, indispensable in the project we're on right now. Well, you know, philo- philosophically, um, we're different. We want to control the sound, the playability, the cosmetics of the acoustic guitar. Uh, we don't build to a price target. We build to the satisfaction of one customer at a time. Where there's limits to what we can control uh, because some things we have to buy. Uh, cases, strings, tuning machines, uh, uh, bridge pins, some of the decorative stuff. So uh, rather than just accept the best that we can find out there, we've designed our own improved versions and had those made for us. Cases, tuning machines, some of those things would be subject for another discussion. What we'll talk about today is strings. Strings are a bit of a mystery. Uh, to to players. There's a lot of different brands. There's a lot of different um, uh, stylings. There's a lot of different gimmicks. You know, God knows the world does not need another brand of strings. 
you know, we have all kinds of choices. So uh, what, you know, what leads us to controlling the strings? Shouldn't we be able to find what we want out there? Um, yeah, it exists, but unfortunately it exists in the form of violin strings, and they only sell those four to a set, and so that limits us right there. <laughs> and the reason I, I, I say that, you know, a, a, bit, a, a bit jokingly, is it all, it's pretty funny. Us guitar players uh, can choose uh, strings in a range of 10 to 15 bucks, some specialty brands maybe up up to uh, 20 or so. And then the violinist, the serious violinist, will pay 120 to 140 dollars for four strings. Yeah. What is going on here? Um, uh, are the are the guitar uh, players being gamed or are the violin players being gamed? <laughs> Somebody's uh, not getting what they'd expect. So the violin tradition is so well established, the string companies actually find them a prestige market, and making a string that they'll accept is a good marketing uh, positioning mm -hmm. thing. As a market, they take violin players seriously, and they make a deadly serious string for them, and they charge what it takes to make them. Uh, and that's a lot of money. Uh, the guitar players, and I'm only gonna speculate here, there's all levels of, um, um, you know, aptitude, uh, uh, practice, uh, applications for playing, some good, some bad. But for some reason, we've been boxed into this 10 to $15 for a set of strings thing, and we're used to that paying that price. Uh, in fact, our strings at $18 retail, people write us letters uh, about our immorality for charging so much for, uh, for guitar strings. You know, how, how could they be so much better to be double the price? Well, especially um, if they're 10% of the price of their guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. That's, that's well put. Well, it, you know, it's conditioning. It's also, um, it, it's all, one feeds upon the other. Uh, guitar players expect to pay under 20 bucks for strings. Uh, guitar string manufacturers are not about to press their luck on that. They'll give us what we want, and we feed upon each other. So truly, the strings that are made for guitars um, aren't made to be uh, the best sounding, they're not made to last the longest, they're not to be the easiest playing, they're made to do all of the things up to a price target. And, and we've already discussed that price target. And the reason why is because that's the paradigm we live under. We pay for what we get and the companies make what they think we want. Right. So without getting any more judgmental on it, that just won't do for what we're doing in the instruments. We're controlling every aspect of sound in, in our guitars uh, uh, just the same way you control all the knobs and sliders on your sound system, which is unusual in itself. But we're also making sure the guitar is sophisticated as it can be with um, maximum sustain, the development of overtones, the stuff everybody agrees makes a good sounding guitar. And then we put a compromise string on it makes no sense. So we're not about to go in the string business uh, in the sense of uh, setting up a manufacturer for strings, but we're also not going to repackage an existing string uh, and call it a Santa Cruz because we can't get what we want. Right. So 17 years uh, over 17 years actually, but 17 years of actual uh, hands-on uh, scientific inquiry, uh, consultation with experts, um, people uh, being involved in tests, beta tests, and so on. Uh, we've developed a guitar string uh, that really is the quality of a violin string. It is, quite simply, it sounds better, it lasts a lot longer, and it's much more playable. Uh, that's what we need for our guitars, 
and uh, that's what it took to get them is to design test and finally come up with a string that's um you know it's not hubris to say the best in the world that's what we want that's what we're trying to achieve and that's what we have made for us and there's a lot of detail in that and i'll shut up and let you ask for those those questions that had to be a really major decision to go down that path to not just go out to the various string manufacturers and just say give us your best string so we can put our label on it, but instead to go back and, and basically analyze all the strings that were out there, come up with what you didn't like about them, what you did like about some of them, and you know put that together into creating what you felt to be the best string possible. I could see, yeah, 17 years easily. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Well, that, that's, um, that's flattering. It's very well put, and I appreciate it. And uh, I actually did some of that. I've been in this business for the better part of half a century and uh, developed some really nice relationships. In fact, if you haven't figured that out yet, that's what makes the world go around <laughs> advice to uh, up-and-coming luthiers, right? <laughs> and so in talking to some of my friends that make some of the best strings in the world, the question was, w- wasn't, can you give us something better? The question was, if price wasn't a consideration in what you're doing, I know there's things that you could do that would make strings better, but uh, you can't support it in the marketplace. What are some of those things? You know, what would you do to do that? Which led us to the violin tradition and string. But right. I, I interrupt your question. Well, and that's, that's also where you started with the guitar building, too, mm-hmm. was to start with that traditional history and traditional techniques um, that were developed over a great period of time. So it only makes sense to also go there with the strings where, you know, a lot more time and energy and, you know, I don't know. That's actually a good question. Do you know, were metallic strings developed for all instruments about the same time, or is that... I know that they came into the guitar world, what, in the 1920s, approximately? I mean, were violin strings kind of introduced then? And I mean, they had piano strings before that. I don't know. That's you, probably well, going off on a tangent. That that's we... okay. You're ahead of me on that. Um, uh, simply because that's not my uh, interest. If it was, right. I'd find out. I want to know uh, what was developed, uh, and probably in chronological order, the, the dates of it aren't as critical uh, yeah. to me in that regard. Needless to say, I, you know, my expertise is in steel string guitars. And I've got a couple more lifetimes to learn on that. So when it comes to uh, things outside of my expertise, um, I'm going to go to people that are smarter than me, that are better practiced than me, and and hopefully also not stuck in uh, a way of thinking because of uh, a commercial reason. We can really go a little further out there and do that. Cool. And that's, um, uh, that's, you know, that's the subject of our... our yeah. That sounds like the perfect lead-in to introduce our guest here, um, who is uh, on the staff here at Santa Cruz Guitar Company. Um, uh, I'll, Richard, I'll let you do the introductions. And, and well, thank you. Um, sure, this is Rick Bartow, and uh, uh, Rick is really my right hand. Uh, he he uh, manages the flow of production. Um, uh, he calculates a lot of the unknowns and is a really, really integral part of Santa Cruz Guitar Company. Us, uh, I'm going to say especially, now they're all valuable, but he brings skills 
and talents here that normally you don't find in guitar making, and that's uh, a, a really good adherence to the scientific method, a great scientific discipline, and as I said, a, a, you know, a love of quantum physics, and putting the unknown in equations and coming up with some reasonable stuff. And I'm really proud to work with Rick. Uh, Rick has been able to coordinate a lot of other experts towards this project. And what I'm going to have him do today is anything he wants, but hopefully that includes uh, a pretty good scientific explanation about the magic of what's happening with his strings. Our strings, did I say that? Um, that was a, not a Freudian slip, it was just a mistake. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, you know, with your permission, Ted, let me turn this over to Rick and have him yes, explain please, how this works. Yes, please, Rick. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ted, and thanks for the introduction, Richard. Um, you know, I'm kind of just building off of everything that Richard started out uh, with all of Richard's goals in mind, and all I'm doing is bringing the, the data, the science, the data analysis to the table um, and really help to flush out exactly what we're trying to do with our strings. Um, on top of everything that Richard already stated, uh, really we're just trying to make our strings, uh, approach our strings exactly how we approach our guitars. So with that, we're basically achieving three different things. Um, what I call equal feel, equal loudness, and full sustain in the string. Uh, equal feel is when, when you're fretting the string, each string individually, you want to use the same amount of force to press each string down to the fret with your finger. So you want the, to be able to have your fingers flow smoothly from string to string. If one string is more tense than the other, as far as feel goes, then that could trip you up. So uh, to get that done, one would assume you would just make all the strings equal tension. But what that doesn't take into account is that they're different thicknesses, different unit weights, uh, there's a different distance between the string and the fingerboard itself. Right. So you actually need different tensions to make that happen. Okay. Uh, and we have a, a good way of calculating that, how much force it takes to actually push the string down. And so by, by calculating that and adjusting the specific tension of each string, uh, we can kind of judge how, how much force it takes to press it down to the fingerboard. So if we can achieve that, the strings will feel pretty good no matter what chord you're playing or if you're you know doing leads or it'll just you'll smoothly be able to glide across them so that's that's kind of the tactile end of the strings that's mm -hmm. what the musician uh, player is going to feel and experience playing exactly. the strings it's the most direct correlation to the player it's, it's, right. it's the first okay. thing he's going to notice right um, now equal loudness uh, gets a little bit trickier because the human ear, it takes into, into account perception research. And so the human ear actually hears different frequencies at different loudnesses. So you can actually have two frequencies, say a higher frequency and a lower frequency. And if I uh, played the guitar, played both those frequencies, put them through a microphone and uh, saw what their amplitude was, so how, you know, not how loud they are, but literally their amplitude, mm -hmm. uh, they might both be at 60 decibels. But the higher frequency is going to sound louder to our ears than the lower frequency. Uh, these are traits that have evolved over time in humans. Uh, one, one good anecdote is uh, we actually hear the, the frequency that a baby cries at really well for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so we tend to hear higher frequencies louder than lower frequencies. So taking that into account, uh, luckily, as Richard has stated many times, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of what they call the equal loudness contours 
It's a lot of perception research on you know, if I was to take that higher frequency, what amplitude should I put it at to make it sound as loud as that lower frequency? So that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's there's a lot that goes into that, but the the basics of it is the more tense you make a string, mm -hmm. uh, the louder it's going to be in itself. You know, it's going to drive the guitar a little bit more, so it's going to be a little louder in the guitar. Right. But the string itself actually gets louder in amplitude. Right. So when we adjust the tensions, we can actually that's another point where we can take the the higher frequencies and lower it down the amplitude down to make it sound as loud as the lower frequency so that when you play each string individually, it sounds like it's uh, equal loudness and no one string is overpowering the other. Okay, so you, you've introduced a couple concept there, concepts there that I think maybe we should, should talk a little bit about, and that is um, how strings work. Mm -hmm. You have the string mass, you have the string tension, and you have the string scale. Yes. And so, what you're starting to talk about, I think we need to review some of those things for people who are listening so that they understand a little bit of that basic physics behind sound, Yeah. especially as it relates to a guitar. Yes, and actually um, the getting a full sustain out of the string itself, kind mm -hmm. of my third point, kind okay. of points to all that, but just uh, as a little preemptive uh, uh, calculation to figure out the tension of a string you actually have to take into account all those factors. So right. for us to actually, you know, if we got the string on the guitar and we want to figure out the tension, as long as we know the unit weight, uh, you know, the pound, pounds per square inch of, of the string itself, um, as well as the um, scale length, and then what frequency that string is vibrating at, we can put that into an equation and it tells us the tension that the string is at. So that's okay. how we actually calculate the tension in the first place. Um, and you know, a lot of that has some manufacturing uh, tolerances in there that we have to adjust for, sure. depending on where the who's making the string, where it's coming from, how they're making it, chord or wrap ratio, all of that, right. um, which we'll get into later. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as the, the actual science of the string, that's the third step, the full sustain is where all that kind of, you know, it's kind of like a path. We start with, how does it feel? And then how loud is this? And then it kind of leads us to, how do we get the string to ring out the longest amount of time possible? Okay. Uh, and we, we do that with our tops. We're really, when we're uh, carving our tops, we're really looking to focus the note, the inherent resonance of the top wood itself, as well as getting the top to sustain as long as possible. When you tap on it, when we do our tap tuning, you really want it to ring out. Right. So there's a little bit of science behind that. And mm -hmm. when we're working with our, uh, you know, all of the, the top carving and anybody that's doing the top carving at the time, these are all things that they already do as a human artistically. Um, so what we do by uh, applying the science is we can put a certain scientific language to it. So when we're training new people or you know we might have a hard time explaining it to somebody else, we can kind of detail the specific uh, tonal properties and all the, the EQ, bass to treble and all that. We could put that in a language that maybe all of us can understand. And, Perfect. Um, it does get complicated, and you know I try to simplify it as much as possible. But <laughs> there's probably going to be about 50 caveats along the way. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I have to. I have to yeah. say that I did some reading in preparation for for this podcast, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of very deep scientific principles going mm -hmm. on behind the physics and the metallurgy and everything else behind this. Yep. 
which is why I'm so glad you're explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, Rick, before, before you continue on yeah. with that explanation, uh, let me put a little clarifier in here. Uh, as Rick explains what our targets are for the strings, let me give you a why. We build instruments, custom instruments, and we're getting people the uh, qualities of sound, also the quantities of sound that are personal choice. And the EQ, which is the relative volume of bass, treble, and mid-range, is really a critical personal choice. Uh, for bluegrass, you uh, people generally want a real predominant loud bass. Uh, for a finger-style jazz, the player would hate that and want the guitar to play very evenly, so they as the artist could uh, choose the volume for each note they play. So you buy a guitar with a perfect um, EQ uh, for your style of playing by choice, but then you buy a name brand of strings and each different brand is going to change the EQ because the tensions and the volume individual of strings is random. Mm -hmm. And that's one of our, our goals that we achieved here is get a string set that has an even EQ that allows your guitar then to speak in its natural voice. So that throws in why we're doing some of these things, and I'm going to turn it back to Rick to tell you how we're doing them. Well, so I think that something I just picked up there is, is by you're basically eliminating the strings as a variable in the sound and tone of a Santa Cruz guitar. By putting a string that you've designed that you know what it is, you're truly letting the work you put into the guitar itself, the, the soundboard and the body and everything else, to be true to itself and not flavored by the, the choice of strings that uh, a player might make. I mean, obviously a player could choose some different strings once they get their guitar home, but <laughs> for you in the building process, is that, is that kind of a fair statement? Um, it, 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 it is, but let's not let that stand alone. Let's add this that in sound, there's, there's two parts of sound. There's the subjective, the things that you adjust on your sound system, because only you know what you want. Mm -hmm. If there was a right or wrong, they would sell you a box without knobs or sliders. They would have figured it out. And then there's the things that everybody wants. So in the string, we're enhancing the commonality of the things that everybody finds desirable and quality of sound, but we are letting uh, the guitar itself control the subject of things, like the EQ, how loud the bass is versus the treble, for instance. Everybody wants sustain, and everybody wants um, uh, rich, full, colorful sound, for right, instance. Right. Uh, but the other things are subjective. So we, we aren't making the strings neutral in that sense. We're enhancing the things that everyone oh. wants, and we're manipulating uh, the, uh, the things that are personal right, right. so that the guitar can speak with its own voice yes i, I did that's mean, a mouthful yeah i didn't mean to i make know it you sound didn't, like the, the, but the I'm strings a were yes right 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 neutral is a better choice so mm -hmm. that the the strings are a smaller variable in the equation mm -hmm. that that you know the strings you know what to expect when you put a set of santa cruz strings on they aren't going to make undesirable changes in your exactly. guitar only okay. desirable okay okay <laughs> You all were right, right all along. <laughs> <laughs> we're sorry, Rick. We, uh, we yeah. sidetracked you. That, that's, that's fine. You had gone over your three uh, <laughs> primary principles. Yeah. Um, where do you go from there? Uh, so the next thing we're going to look at is the getting full sustain out of the strings. And as right. I was saying, with the tops, we do that with our tops already. We're trying to 
capture that sustain out of the tops in the way we work it. So we want to apply that principle to the, principle to the strings. So to explain that, I'm actually going to start with the top and kind of work my way back to the string, okay. and uh, just to show you how it all works. But so when you pluck a string and you make the energy it vibrates, you make the energy go into the top. Uh, there's a bunch of different things that happens when that energy goes into the top, and it, it goes into the top in forms of modes. Um, and so those modes are how the top is actually vibrating. So in what direction, in what way, uh, there's these beautiful pictures that you can look up online called the Kladney patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, he worked a lot with violins and the different modes of the violin top when you put energy into the top. But if you look up uh, Kladney patterns for guitars, it's the same pictures. Um, so what happens is, um, and I'm going to assign numbers to these modes, but the numbers don't, they kind of mean something, but they don't generally. Okay. So the first mode is if you imagine a circle around the bridge of the top, uh, and the circle probably ends just short of the sound hole, um, and it's equidistant from the bridge to the, to the bottom of the guitar. Um, that circle is what I'm going to call the top plate movement. So that's the first mode, is the, is the bridge is the apex of, of that circle, and it's, it's pushing into the guitar and pulling out of the guitar. So it's pumping, doing the pumping action that creates the sound that comes out of the sound hole. So this is kind of centered around the center of the X brace in the guitar? I mean, is it? Is well, yeah, the, the bridge actually sits right below the X brace. Oh, okay. So it's, it's somewhat, that, it's all connected. You know, the X right. brace, it's, that energy is eventually going to go into the braces and they're going to add, uh, add to all of this. Okay, but okay. for the most part, when you look at the cladding patterns, the first one you'll see is that kind of circle around and it's, again, it's like the bridge is the apex and it's going in and out. So it's almost the whole uh, lower bout of the top is kind of pushing in and out in a, in a, in a sphere. Okay. Um, you know, doming, concave. Uh, and then the second cladding pattern is side to side. So from the base to treble of the bridge, you can imagine two ovals within that circle. Uh, pumping in and out, uh, you know, kind of like a sine wave. So the, you know, as one side is going up, the other side's going down, and then vice versa. Uh, the third mode is from the front to the back. So literally in front of the bridge and behind the bridge, uh, below the sound hole, and then, you know, the bridge to the tail. So that's going back and forth. That's the third mode. And that's kind of your torquing action when the, when the bridge is actually torquing front to back. Okay. And then from there, it's uh, the upper bout to lower bout, and what, what that's doing is the energy is actually dissipating towards the edges of the guitar. And then once it hits the edges and kind of bounces back from the binding, it starts uh, dividing. So you'll start to see like many more nodes, so uh, places along the, the wave pattern where it's not moving, it's the neutral area of the wave. So you'll see the, it'll, it'll bounce back and there will be many more nodes and many more patterns that come of that. And what all of those different modes uh, signal is the different wave patterns that are coming out of the top. So when you, that big large one in the middle, that's going to be your bass, and all, when the, the sound bounces back, that's going to be all your high harmonics, uh, your high frequencies that come out of that. And so when the guitar is doing all of those different modes, you can kind of think of uh, it being consecutive from each of those modes, uh, from one to two to three to four. But, you know, as you strum the guitar, all that sound's coming at you within a couple of seconds. Well, yeah. And well, so <laughs> that's where it, quantum physics kind of comes in where it's it's all of these frequencies are separate. We can measure them separately all we want, but they're all kind of adding on top of each other all at the same time. 
and they're mixing with each other. So we can actually even take the, the, you know, the lower frequency of the top plate and the higher frequencies as they bounce back from the binding. You can kind of add those two together and you're getting this certain, uh, this certain frequency that's coming out of that. They all stack on top of each other and mix with each other in many different ways. So that's how the energy goes into the top and spreads out. So when the string, when you pluck that string where I started, that string is actually doing relatively kind of the same thing. Um, when you pluck a string, and if you were to use a lo-fi camera, you know, something that doesn't have very good uh, uh, speed to it, it kind of looks like the string is just, it, you know, it gets all blurry and it kind of looks like it's almost going in like a cone, you know, or like a cylindrical pattern. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you look at that, it's all blurry, but if you take a really nice uh, high-speed camera, put a bank of strobe lights as we've done before with our Plec machine and you get like an actual still shot, a very uh, high-speed camera that can get like a still shot of that moment in time when that string is vibrating, you'll see it actually is a wave pattern. It looks like a wave. So if I'm looking down straight at the top, looking at the sound hole, looking at our beautiful Santa Cruz guitar, <laughs> there's uh, the wave pattern is a uh, it looks a certain way. You know, you can kind of see the amplitude, how, how much that wave is wiggling back and forth, right. um, which is giving you, which is making the top do a very certain thing. There's a certain wave pattern that it's, that energy is feeding into the top and making the top doing a very certain thing. If we were to take our camera and rotate it around the string, so say instead of looking directly down at the string towards the top, mm -hmm. Say so you're playing it and you're looking at it from the side view. Right. Um, it's going to be a wave pattern still, but the thing is, it's actually a different wave pattern. It's like uh, it's a different amplitude. The string's doing a different thing in a different pattern, different amplitude. So if we're to think about the, you know, if you think about a sine wave where it goes up, the, you know, there's the neutral line, the zero point. It goes up and then it comes down, crosses the neutral line, goes below. If you make that 3D, what you actually get is a spiral. So you're getting a spiral, and the thing with the string is when it vibrates, it's vibrating in all those different directions in a different way. And those are all of your wave patterns that are creating all of your frequencies that are going into the top. And so how that all adds up is when we pluck a string, we hear a fundamental note. You know, we record, I don't know, 240 hertz coming off of that. That's, that's our, what we call the fundamental frequency. The basic note you tune your guitar to. Exactly. Yeah. So you tune the string to whatever note that is. When you pluck it, there's an infinite amount of sine waves going into that wave. So there's, when I said you rotate around the string and you see it's the amplitude is one way, and then you rotate a little bit more, the amplitude's gonna look another way. You rotate a little bit more, it's gonna look another way. Um, so those are all of the different frequencies going into that string. That's where you get your harmonics, all your partials. So uh, all those partials are giving you um, you know, I would say it's flavoring the fundamental, but that's kind of getting into the terms of tonality. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's more of a, it's all those add up to your fundamental, basically. All those are within the fundamental, creating the fundamental. And you can even start taking away some of those high frequency harmonics. And for a while, depending on what frequencies we're talking about, you might still hear, it might still sound about the same. But you take away enough of those, and now you're actually changing the, the overall frequency of your fundamental itself, and so it's going to sound different. Okay. So this is all leading into how we get full sustain. Um, and you know, knowing the relation between the top and the string and how they work and where all these frequencies goes helps to explain this. So when, we're, when we pluck a string 
and when it makes that wave pattern, what, what it's actually doing is it's pulling on the bridge and doing all those pumping patterns in different ways, and it's also pulling on the neck a little bit. Basically, the string is becoming more tense as you make it, uh, you're, you're stretching it. You know, that's when you pluck a string, that's what you're doing. As you stretch it, it gets more tense. And when it gets more tense, uh, it actually changes the pitch. So just like if you were, you know, you put your new Santa Cruz strings on your guitar, you start tuning it up, you, you're winding it up, and it's going wah, 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 it's because you're making it more tense. It's changing the pitch. So whenever you pluck, you're actually changing the pitch of the string. But what we want to do is to get it to that point where it changes pitch, that the median average of all of those pitch changes is your fundamental. So that's what your note is. Okay. So since it's doing that, uh, if you have a really loose string, it's going to change pitch more. If you have a really tense string, it's going to change pitch less when it bends. So if I pluck a string and it's, it's more taut, it's going to move less. If I, if I have it a little looser, it's going to be able to move more. There's a higher amplitude that it can reach. Okay. So where that affects sustain is when the pitch changes that much, you start introducing, um, uh, the best way to describe it is uh, in wave patterns. But if you have multiple wave patterns and you superpose them, meaning you stack them on top of each other, and they all kind of cross that neutrality point at the same, the same place, it actually increases their amplitude. You can put two wave patterns of a certain amplitude and then you stack them on top of each other and if they intersect at the same nodal points, it'll increase their amplitude. So you'll actually get a greater sound. Um, but if you superimpose wave patterns, meaning that the nodal points are different, they start battling each other and start canceling each other out at certain frequencies. Mm -hmm. So when I'm allowing that string to change pitch more and more and more by you know loosening it up and not putting enough tension on it. Um, I'm introducing pitches uh, or what we would call um, partials. So when you go up the harmonic scale, you know all the harmonic frequencies that are adding into our fundamental. All of those are you want them to be in tune. You know you want all your harmonics to be in tune with your fundamental so it rings out as much as it can. If you start uh, allowing the string to do crazy stuff, you introduce the chaos. Of, of quantum physics, then you start to decay some of those harmonics quicker because they start fighting each other. So you get out-of-tune partials that are starting to cancel some of your in-tune partials, and that means the, the string isn't uh, able to move uh, in as harmonious as it could have if it was all in-tune. So what we really want to do is get the tension as much as possible to limit that. Um, there's many scientific terms to go along with it. Uh, we use inharmonicity. That's, that's the whole, the partials are starting to cancel out each other, creating inharmonicity, which means it's going to decay quicker. Uh -huh. um, now, the other thing is the more you tense the strings, the more the amplitude is going to increase, the louder the guitar is going to sound. And everybody thinks that's good, you know, the louder the guitar, the better. But when, when you do that, at some point, the guitar is going to become unplayable. It's right. going to be too tense. You're not even going to be able to play it. Well, and this is really this goes to the history of, of the development of the steel string guitar. Is, mm -hmm. is they needed more tension to create more volume. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's exactly. All that exactly. And so we want our strings to work in harmony with themselves, which is exactly what we do with our guitars. Uh, you know, we 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 tune our tops so to the inherent resonance of the wood itself, and that's what we do across 
pretty much everything we do here. And so we're essentially doing the same thing with our strings where we're allowing all of those partials to stay in tune as much as possible to limit inharmonicity. Um, and then there's one more layer to this, uh -oh. which <laughs> one more layer. Worth um, the wait. Yeah. And if you order now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when I was talking about looking at the string at different angles and it's got different wave frequencies going on, the top kind of has that too. Um, when I was talking about the bridge rotating, uh, that and also pumping in and out, that's creating most of your sound. That's the biggest pumping motions that are pushing out of your sound hole. But there is actually side-to-side -side motion going on. So, you know, like I said, the string is going to vibrate in every which direction. The side-to-side, -side, um, or the up and down, tends to decay in the string quicker because what it's doing is the energy can actually go into the top pretty easily because the top's going to be moving up and up down, and down rocking right. back and forth. It's, it can do that really easily. So that's where pretty much all of your amplitude comes from in the guitar itself. So it can, what happens is the energy, it's so good at using that energy, it just lets it all go. So you can have a really loud guitar that just lets all the energy go, but then there's nothing. It's just silence after a certain amount of time. What we want to do is we want to use the, what we call this, the side-to-side -side, uh, vibrating. So imagine grain-to-grain -grain of the top. Mm -hmm. What that does is it creates resistance that allows the energy to get kicked back into the string which then goes to the neck and then kicks back into the string and goes in the top, kicks back into the string. So that a resistance allows the string to actually vibrate a uh, longer duration. So there's this balance of you do want resistance to keep the energy going, but you also do want to release some of that energy to make the get guitar the make a yeah. sound and, and get right. good volume. So there's this very specific balance that we have to find and luckily We've been using a, a local Stanford acoustic physicist working on his PhD. Many tools at his disposal. We can get spectrograms and graphs and all different types of measurements to look at all this stuff. Um, and the main thing with the sustain is we want to, there's the two stages to the decay of the string, which is, you know, your initial pluck, which is a large amplitude. It drops down really quick. But then there's that second stage decay where it's the sustain from the resistance. So it vibrates for a longer time, giving you overtones, allowing the, the guitar to keep ringing. Uh, and we want to find that balance because there's, there's a certain point, too, where that first stage, if it's too high of an amplitude and it decays too quickly, it doesn't matter if that second stage you know, decays a long time. It's the difference in our perception in our ears that tells us that if it drops, I think it's below 60 decibels in a certain amount of time, it's like we can't even hear it anyway. So hmm. we have to pay attention to all these variables all at once just for that third that third bullet point, wow. which is getting yeah. the sustain of the string itself. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, I knew this was going to be a lot more complicated than I could prepare for, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's pretty fascinating. It's yeah. a lot of stuff. It's yeah. not necessarily complicated. Right, right. Um, it's just... Well, Unless that's a definition of complicated, the most, a lot of stuff. The last point I wanted to make is now that I've described all of those different variables and how a string actually works, it's the same idea as the top. You have to remember that this is happening within a couple of seconds. So even though the string is doing all those things, it's all happening at once. Right. So it's you can parse these things out, you can look at them individually, but then you always have to bring it back to it's one full system doing one thing, and that's what we're actually hearing. Right, and we're, and we're never talking about one, well, very rarely are we talking about one string at a time. I mean, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you've got different 
fingerings, different notes, different positions, yep. so that you've got all kinds of other variables going on as well. But mm -hmm. yeah, that it does start to get complicated. And then, uh, and we haven't even talked about the metallurgy or the <laughs> diameters or the weights or, or yeah. all the other things that are involved in the strings. Exactly. Um, and what I would say to that is, uh, and, and Richard has said this many a times, probably in many other podcasts and interviews, but uh, you know, we're trying to build the perfect guitar. That's that's our main focus, but. There's so many variables involved that a lot of times the first step is to please most of the people most of the time. Right. So by starting at this baseline of having equal feel, equal loudness, and uh, full sustain when the strings are being played open, it's going to extend into all the different iterations of different chords right, and different right. you know ways you play and all that. Uh, there's only so much we can do right now, but as we build and develop this, you know, it's going to get better and better and better and better. Sure. No, I, it, that, I think that's what I was trying to say, is that, that by, by designing your strings around these parameters that you consider important, you're removing a variable or you're limiting the range of a variable mm -hmm. so that you can concentrate on what you're really doing, which is building guitars, yep. um, not necessarily designing guitar sound systems. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Okay, so where did you start? I mean, I, I guess that, that's what I'm wondering is, is you obviously had access to every string in the world. I imagine every string manufacturer has been through your door with uh, suitcases full of samples trying to convince you that theirs is a string to use. You decided to start off on your own. How, how did you do that? Oh, man. Um, motivations are different. Um, uh, I said this earlier, let me expand upon it. Most people making stuff, uh, if they're going to do it for, if they're going to monetize it, turn it into business, your target is most often price. You want to hit a certain segment of the market and you build uh, your widget to be priced at that. Uh, the more mass market you want to go, the lower the price is going to be to attract more customers. Or you look for niches that aren't being served, but still it's a price target in that regard. For us as custom builders, uh, building a guitar for one person's satisfaction at a time, that's our target. Getting everything one person wants in one guitar is the target we're after. In the pursuit of a price target, you have to have budgets for everything you do, the materials you buy, uh, the labor you can script to do it. Uh, in fact, everything has to be within a certain limit to get that price target. To please uh, someone with everything they want, we do that and then we charge what it takes to get well, sure, to it, sure. right? So uh, we're, not, we're not limited as we go about how much it's gonna cost. So when we go looking at strings uh, around the world, you have to remember that uh, people can set up with great ideals, but nonetheless they're gonna have to sell these strings. This, this is a great place to answer the question, uh, can other people get these strings? Heck yeah. If we, if we made these strings for our guitars, we'd be making less than 500 sets a year, and we'd probably be paying you know, $85 at least for a set of strings. 
but by scaling it and selling to other people, uh, we can get it down to 18 bucks yeah. a set. So they're that scale. So when we approach this, the string making, there's not a model, there's not many, if any, models out there in guitar strings for us to copy. That's why we're not repackaging an existing set. Right. That would be easy, wouldn't it? We'd get what we want, it would be cheaper, um, life would be good, we wouldn't do a podcast, but <laughs> Lord knows, <laughs> we have other, other things, things we can do, about. yeah, <laughs> that we can do. So our motivation in going into this was to make our guitars sound better, and that was one of the things we didn't have control of. So our, our uh, motives, again, I'm being redundant here, but it isn't like, how can we do this for this price, how can we do this the best. So where other companies came in handy is this uh, symbiotic discussions about, you know, if you, if you didn't have to worry about price, what would you do? Or in the violin, what do you do to please the violin players that you don't have to worry about in the guitar making? Uh, I'll tell you, we did get a lot of stuff there. And mostly what we got is the references to where to start looking so we could begin again. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's some real fundamentals on that. We are, uh, it's not, you know, I'd like to say it's not a pride-driven thing. Uh, just like we're not trying, our goal isn't to make the best guitar in the world. Our goal is to do the best possible job we can in making guitars, and it's a likely coincidence that they'll be the best in the world, right? <laughs> right? Very likely, so yes, so yes. Uh, likewise with the strings uh, as we go. I hope that wasn't too oblique. Uh, but the simple answer is, it doesn't exist out there. There wasn't something to copy. Well, well and that, that's, I guess that's what I was asking, is there was nothing out there to copy. So you had to start with, you had to find somebody out there who could actually work to your standards. Or, or a lot of those people, and Rick is one of them. Let's yeah. hear what he has to say about that. Yeah, I can definitely add to that. I mean, I came in at a certain point in time where Richard already had the direction of what we're looking to accomplish for the most part. We, he's worked with people in the past and like he said, starting out with that question of if he had all the money in the world to make the perfect string, what would that look like? So they developed the idea from there and then where I came in was, uh, you know, Richard literally told me like this is what I want to do, how can you make it happen? And that's, that's where I had to start diving into string research. and, and it just so happens that, you know, I love Luthery, but when I go home, my hobby is to read David Bohm and quantum, quantum physics research. And, and it's, it, it's just funny that when I came to started, started learning about the guitar and strings, I'm like, this is all the same. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's all the same, uh, you know, string theory and guitar strings yes. are basically the same thing. Um, so when I started reading about it and, and looking in and reaching out to people that we knew, and like I said, we got uh, connected with some uh, a guy from Stanford and talking to him about it, it became uh, real easy to kind of say, how do, you, how do we make this happen? How do we, now that we know that this is how a string works, how do we get to work optimally? And really where that all started out was making tons of faulty assumptions. And then... Uh, That's <laughs> like Luther. Yeah, make, <laughs> make it, saying, I think this is how it works. And I think this is how it goes. Let's test it. And then luckily we had the tools at our disposal to... Uh, take data, take measurements, look at the data and go, 
well, no, I was totally wrong. That yeah, that's not going to work. And yeah. then and then you but then at that point you can start you you start to see things. You start to see the patterns. You're like, I didn't even think of that pattern, and that's what leads you down the path to to developing it. But I was going to say that's a very narrow path because what you've talked about so far is all the science end of of all of this, mm -hmm. and at the same time, you have to satisfy some very picky people, yeah. <laughs> guitar players, yeah. and people who play very good guitars. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of beta testing in all this, and, and I mean, that must have led to a lot of additional information that may have been beyond just the purely scientific um, aspect of things. Did I mention 17 years? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's just, you know, that's the active, active uh, research with this. You know, we've got a resource that I never, I never stop being grateful or amazed at. Uh, we give tours twice a week uh, through here, and the people that come through here are a, a complete slice of life, but they're, they're also a slice of um, uh, science. Uh, we have uh, researchers in, in automobile engineering, aerospace, uh, biochemistry, uh, on and on and on and on. And the, and the universal unit of exchange is the guitar. Everybody loves guitars, right? Uh, we continue the discussion. I do it all the time, probably every couple of weeks. Somebody does something that has enough reference, we'll begin the discussion going. And uh, this really has been an incredible uh, symbiotic uh, relationship. Um, uh, I know you didn't specifically ask that, but there's a there's an evolution here. Uh, it's, it could be a God thing, it could be serendipity, however you like to look at it, but there's been a real cohesion from one person to the other as we add to our knowledge. And there is a real, uh, uh, you know, almost uh, a spiritual connection to the scientific method, but at the same time, I'm a luthier. And I will do exactly what Rick was talking about. Um, we'll eliminate a lot of faulty assumptions. Oop, that was a little short. Uh-oh, that's too long. Um, and uh, with, uh, with Rick's discipline in the scientific methodology, and, and my, you know, I'm gonna say as an artist, uh, with a lot of comparative analysis through a lot of experience, we're a real good team. You know, I would really like to speak to that too, because that's the, it's kind of the, the next step in the process where I come to Richard with all these data points, graphs, uh, equations, mm -hmm. um, finite element models, all this stuff where you look through the research papers on acoustic physics and everybody's trying to recreate the guitar and the computer. They're trying to make a simulation <laughs> right. of yeah. the string to figure uh -huh. out how the string works or the guitar to figure out where the energy goes and all that. And what it comes down to is those are all averages. No matter how much data you input, we can only take uh, certain, you know, 800 data points per minute, something like that. You put it in the computer, you make that graph, you press the play button and you play it back, it sounds synthetic. It's, it doesn't sound real no matter how good our supercomputers get, it just always sounds synthetic. So like I said at the beginning when uh, I go to our top carver and I'm telling him exactly what I'm doing with all this research and he goes, I already do all that. And I'm like, that's the, that's the beauty of the human mind where it's taken me you know, three years to learn all of this whereas you just do it in an instant because of the artistry and the luthery and everything we've learned here. So it's, it's all cohesive. It, nothing's battling each other, nothing overtakes one or the other. You need both the artistry and the science to make it work. That's beautiful. I, you know, we've got a great advantage. 
Um, we, we have control over how the guitar sounds. Uh, it comes from the violin tradition. Uh, those guys didn't hit or miss, you know. They didn't, you didn't go out and try to find the good one uh, from a master violin maker. You went to them because they could consistently do that. And that's the tradition we come from. If somebody orders uh, a guitar from us, the one thing we can guarantee right off is they're going to get a great sounding instrument. Right, in this. Right. So being able to do that consistently, then uh, you have the ability to ad-lib. Uh, and you know from which you're departing, you can always get back back home with that. So this is getting a little bit of a, like talking like a, I'm a jazz guy or something about improvisation. And I am. Uh, we know our foundations. Uh, like Rick said, the guy, uh, you know, like Adam Carr is the top. Um, he gets uh, the voice of the instrument for the customer. He gets the EQ, uh, the brightness of tone, uh, the clarity or the blended stuff. But he also nails sustain complexity of overtones, everything anybody could want. And he can do that each time. Somebody approaching this from a project of like, hmm, what makes a guitar sound good? Oh God, how do you, now how do you get there? How do you get from there to what we're talking about? Uh, we're dealing with some real hard uh, data, not speculation to start with. When you go on the internet and you hear people talking, especially larger companies, it's like, oh, there's really not a good or bad in guitars. There's, there's a right guitar for everyone and, and everyone for each guitar. Um, nonsense, you know? <laughs> there's quantifiable things that make it truly better. So that's not a boast. In fact, that's a pitch for uh, the violin tradition over millennia, not, not our brilliance. Uh, that's what we're building on. Right. So with, after all this research, you decided to basically come out with two tensions of string, a low mm -hmm. tension and a medium tension. What are the thoughts behind those? How, how, why did you choose those two as your, your primary initial product, I should say? Well, I'm going to say this is, this is uh, my assumption that this is fundamentals of, of marketing. When you introduce a new product, are you going to change the way everybody thinks, or are you going to are you going to give them uh, uh, some choices within parameters they already understand and feel like they're smart for making that choice? Okay. So to say, you know, it's just like when I was young uh, and full of uh, hubris, um, I truly thought I could make the guitar everybody needed, and they would finally come around and appreciate it. Who needs different brands, different models, and so forth? Right. Well, of course, that's, that's silly. Um, and with strings, we have this uh, paradigm that everybody's aware of. You know, if you're playing this style of music, get light gauge strings. If you're playing this style, get mediums. If it's this model, get that. Now, whether that's right or wrong is not really important because we're not going to change the whole world's mind on that. Um, so we're going to offer uh, a light and a medium set, but we're going to tweak people to ask the question. Uh, low tension and mid tension, what does that mean? Good. We can explain. And yeah. I got a little science Please. to back that up. Yeah. And actually, Richard, you're the one that brought this to light when we were talking about the string tensions a long time ago. Where uh, style of player, finger style mm -hmm. versus, uh, versus singer-songwriter strumming, when you're strumming, you're pressing on those strings harder. Right. So you're going to want more tension to limit the inharmonicity, whereas the finger style right. with the clear uh, 
distinctive notes and your, your finger picking, you're going to want, uh, you're not pressing as hard, you're not picking as hard, so you can have a lower tension and it's not really going to have as much inharmonicity as if you had a, a, you know, higher tension still might help, but generally people do want a little bit lower tension, they don't want to feel like their guitar is seizing up, so it's, it's having that option of what kind of guitar player are you, you probably like these strings a little bit better than the other ones. Guitar players are good scientists too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to the reverse engineering, you know, you you put that uh, test out to all guitar players, and uh, they'll make they'll make logical decisions that you could reverse engineer into really nice, good-looking graphs and science right. and conclusions. So, uh, so a couple of the questions that people have uh, asked on the forums is, is there's been um, questions about the the metallurgy involved. There are people who have certain allergies to certain metals. Want to take them a few at a time? Well, I'll, I'll yeah. go ahead and read them through and then no, start well, again. I mean, yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, then there's also people who who have strong feelings about um, coatings uh, on strings, whether mm -hmm. it be you know on the individual wire or on the entire string as a whole. Um, did any of this kind of stuff come up in in your development work? I mean. Uh, yeah, it came up as a, and we should consider this also, okay. right? It's not our goal. It's not our goal to appeal to a mass market, right. you know? It's not our goal to, I mean, of course, we want to, we want anything we do, we want it to add to peace of mind, which includes safety and good health sure. and things like that. But, but we didn't set out to uh, hit all these targets that would appeal to a mass market. But let's go ahead and do that anyway, uh, kind of backwards. Uh, metallurgy, uh, lead and nickel are, uh, are bad, you know, uh, lead for all the reasons we know. Uh, nickel because it's an allergen and a lot of people react to it strongly. Mm -hmm. So uh, we already know that, no lead, no nickel okay. in it. The combination, the alloy involved in this is, um, I'm going to say fundamentally, uh, let's go back to the guitar analogy. Light is resonant, strong is durable within you know, certain ranges. Mm -hmm. So in building a guitar, you want, a, you want a balance. You want an instrument that's light enough to be responsive, but not too fragile that it wouldn't hold the pull of the strings very long. Uh, in the strings, you want this compatibility with your fret wire. You don't want the, the metal so hard that it's gonna wear through your frets. That's an expensive yeah. Uh, even though it is a wear item, it's an expensive change to do that. And you also don't want the frets to be so hard that you go through strings like crazy. So one of the things that we really wanted was longevity for the strings because they're already expensive to build. If the strings didn't last very long, that would add to the cost of them, right? right. So uh, uh, the alloy that, that's developed is, is, is both to make them uh, durable, but not destructive. Um, and back to the, this is gonna be both for the coating and the metallurgy. Uh, the tonal life of the string is a subject to a lot of internet folklore. Right? Yes, yes. And you know, before the internet, it was us sitting in the music store speculating about that. It, it, uh, we find that the precision with which the string is manufactured contributes more to tonal life longevity than coating the strings does, oh, okay? Uh, okay. Coating, coating the strings protects it from uh, buildup of grime right. uh, and contact with stuff that might corrode it. Um, so not a bad thing at all. 
Right. Um, uh, but uh, there's real attitudes about it in the marketplace, right? Yeah. Just, I'm not buying those because they're coded, period. Exactly. Um, so it turns out we do not have to coat the strings in the traditional manner to get the longevity out of them. However, we do take the precaution of exposing the metal to an atmosphere that, is, that will give it uh, non-corrosive uh, attributes. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, yeah. otherwise, the alloy, uh, the metallurgy is proprietary, and that's not just us. There's several places in this where we had to sign non-disclosure uh, agreements mm -hmm. because what we're using is part of another bigger picture right. that is secret. We're open source. I don't care if somebody knew what we did, but uh, let's say, what if uh, some of this stuff involved a defense contract someplace? Right, and right. people just, that's where they start. I won't tell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. Uh, yeah. What, what else? Did you? you had a third one in there. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I, was just, I was trying to come up with the Woody Guthrie quote, you know, clearly guitars should be considered defense and... and <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's coming, it's coming. Keep yes. working it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I wanted to ask about, so with the, the strings, clearly you have a specific setup in mind. What happens when a guitar is not set up properly? I mean, if the action is too high, how does that affect the strings, or is there any real um, interaction between those? I can't think of why why our strings are going to be any different than any string in that regard. Okay. You know, uh, you said you said high action is going to be harder to play. Uh, the tension is going to increase as you press the string from the top of the fret to the board. It's going to play out of tune. Um, uh, you'll fatigue more. Um, I don't see any advantage okay. of high right. action no, just ever. I mean, uh, it, you know, it, it, not knowing completely what these strings are all about, then you go like, is there any mysteries to them that would make a Mac differently, like mm -hmm. with action and so forth? And no, the thing is, um, this goes into you know how we build guitars, but the consistency of how these strings are made, their consistency and how they perform, and given that and the geometry which we set the guitar up with, you get a whole lot lower action with that combination than you would with conventional strings in a conventional setup. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Alternate tunings. Alternate tunings clearly are going to change the tension on the string set. Mm -hmm. Um, was that a consideration where did you have to do anything special to deal with that or? I'm going to answer enough of the question to make it hard for Rick to finish the, <laughs> finish the answer. Um, so of course in guitars we don't make one guitar that fits for everybody. Sure. We make some guitars that are pretty versatile being able to play different styles. But, you know, we'll make a fingerstyle instrument, we make a bluegrass instrument, we make more of a jazz instrument, and they're both, uh, uh, the EQ, the tone, etc., is designed for that style of playing. It'd be silly to say, no, don't worry, this string works for everything. Now, it works better for everything than any other string that's out there, but to really dial this in, uh, let me tease you on some projects that are upcoming, oh, okay? okay, here we go. Great, and I'll turn that to Rick. <laughs> so, uh, two things. Um, when you're lowering your tuning, depending on obviously what tuning you're going to, but a lot of the times it's almost, uh, you know, it's all corresponding, correlated, where you're going to lower it a certain amount of tension, and each string there uh, after that is probably going to lower about the same amount of tension, depending on the tuning again. Um, I don't 
No too many tunings where people increase the tension, uh, but most of it's detuning. Mm -hmm. um, and, and with that, the I don't see too much of a, a difference. You know, like I said, if you're lowering all the strings all together, right. sometimes you don't. Um, again, like I said, we can't please everybody for every sure, situation. Sure, sure. But we are in development of a couple more lines of strings for this very reason. One of them is uh, dadgad strings. So it, it takes in, into consideration uh, the differences in tension, and then we adjust the strings themselves if people generally want to play in dadgad. Um, same thing with uh, baritone. Uh, we're in development of those. And then, you know, 12 strings is a little more complicated, but we're going to take that head on. So we do have, we're going to have different uh, uh, lines of strings for that certain type of situation. Uh, but if you were to use our lower mid tension and lower to, you know, I feel like the differences aren't going to be uh, crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like Richard was talking about with the action height, other strings, it's probably worse than ours since we start off from a, a level playing field to begin with. But, you know, that's that's just how it, yeah. physics goes, unfortunately. I'll be honest, I, I've been yeah. using the mid-tension on my Brosman baritone for some time. Oh, there you I've go. Been, been very happy with I can't tune it down as low as if I were to put a true yeah. baritone set on, but that's okay. The, we'll have you do some beta testing for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long we as will. the strings aren't, aren't bridge cables, because that's yeah. kind of the, the problem no, I have Well, that's the beauty of this. Um, uh, of the uh, uh, Where we start with this, we have a lot of control over the tension on the strings. We didn't even talk about that. Uh, but we have that illustration where you can change the tension on a given string by as much as 10 pounds by the ratio of the core to the wrap. So the outside of the string can look exactly the same, but it'll be a much different tension. So the look and feel be familiar, because again, we're not going to change the way the world thinks. Yeah. Uh, we want to give them. We want to give them a Trojan horse. That it's a familiar package on the outside. It's okay to buy. The dangerous stuff's on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? All right. So uh, any hints as to when some of these uh, might be coming to market? Are we looking at within a year or two years? Say, or? Rick, what do you think about? <laughs> 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 When would be ready to do this? Depends on how much work I'm going to put into. Rick is pulling his yeah. beard rather yeah. severely at the moment. Well, yeah. you know, Soon. our yeah. our uh, um, our vehicle for life is making guitars, and we and we've chosen to monetize that. So there's certain expectations that have to be met with that, right? Right. We want control of every part of guitar making, so this is really important to do. Mm -hmm. um, but it does, uh, it does take a secondary role. And in Rick's day job, he manages the guitar making. Right. You know? We're a custom shop. Uh, I'll give a clue to any aspiring custom makers. If you want more than one person doing that, it's frankly unmanageable. <laughs> you know? uh, so we do it anyway. It takes a lot of work to do. Yeah. And, and he's very, very valuable in that regard. It's, it's, uh, it's like our guitar making. We don't set uh, uh, quantities. Our goal is uh, quality and efficiency in doing it, and that's how we have to approach this research. Boy, does that sound like a politician. Yeah. We have no idea, but we, <laughs> but we would love for uh, something to be, prototypes to be available at NAM in a couple ah, of months okay. uh, to do some beta testing. Yep. You know, trusted players like you are really valuable where we can go, hey, take this, we know you'll tell us the truth, and play those and see what you think, you well, know? There's, there's science, and, and like yeah. you said, there's the artistry and right, what somebody right, right. wants. Well, let's turn this around a little bit. 
in the process of developing these strings, did you learn anything that maybe changed some of your luthery? Oh, that's delicious. <laughs> I huh. can answer that. Yeah, I can too. You yeah. go first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might come up with something different. Uh, where pretty much all of these concepts I actually stole from something we were doing before we were focusing on the, the this aspect of the strings, where we were using the same um, same systems to look at our tops, how our tops vibrate, how they uh, the frequencies that they vibrate, the harmonics that are coming off of it, the sustain we're getting off of it, and how to optimize that balance. So that's actually where all this research started is is getting uh, you know some microphones in here and getting some spectrograms of the frequency versus decibel readings off our tops and like I said just having uh, our artists carve the tops and then along the way taking measurements and seeing scientifically and per data what are, what are they doing and finding all those patterns and then so that's actually where we started and then from there I was like Oh, this is this is all the same stuff that'll work with the strings. They work together. They're basically the same systems, and they're actually bouncing off of each other. So they definitely have a, a direct correlation. So that's where I started with it. Oh, that's great. To that? Yeah, I do. We've always been. Uh, if our goal is anything, it's continuous improvement. You know, it's discovering safer, more efficient, uh, uh, or, or more accurate ways to achieve what we're doing in our guitars. And a lot of that's been through trial and error, a lot of it's been through practice, a lot of it's my continuing education with other stringed instruments, uh, violin predominantly, but who knows, any, anything with strings on it is helpful to learn from. The reality is we are occasionally training somebody new in that process of voicing and tuning uh, the guitar top and then again the guitar is a secondary tuning and that's done uh, just the way you'd think you know um, try this no that's not quite right do it again do it again do it again here's what you want to feel here you go back and forth until that person can do it on their own if they have the focus the hand-eye coordination the things necessary to do that. Not everybody does, right, okay? Right. And you have success in training somebody else. There is support for Adam to be able to take a vacation someday, right? <laughs> uh, but also, uh, should we lose that information through an alien abduction, um, now what? You know, there's nothing written here that you can go to and so you can say, hey, how do we do that here? I don't know, those guys are gone. Um, so there's two motives for wanting to capture that in a scientific vocabulary. One is to maintain this um, uh, uh, real value of being open source, um, of being able to build in a style that there's no reason to keep secrets mm -hmm. because the thing that makes our guitar better take too much time for most people. It would knock them out of the price target. I want to leave, if any legacy, it's that people can make really inexpensive, affordable guitars that sound like a million dollars, you know? Uh, uh, for the simple reason that the more inspiring the guitar is, uh, the more your creativity is inspired, you'll make better songs and the world will be a better place, right? right? right. So that people could gen literally copy what we do here um, in, in less expensive guitars and more of it. The other thing is, I think I already mentioned this, you're training somebody new, we want it quantified, again, in a scientific vocabulary, so you don't have to go, no, you're just not getting it. It's like, take it till it reads this. 
Right. And of course, it's a whole combination of things. And then you do this. If you don't get those, throw it away, start again. Um, and we actually have the recipe for what we do. Uh, the violin tradition kept this stuff deadly secret. And I'm sure they had the reasons to do that, uh, probably economic. Uh, but today, it's nonsensical. Uh, that information needs to be out there. Not just internet discussion about what makes guitar sounds right. good, but you can actually do it. And so that's, you know, that's what, what uh, me and Rick are partners on in this. Uh, there's certainly, I don't have any uh, uh, way I can imagine to monetize this, right. you know. Well, Richard, uh, you, we don't you're of the generation that, that find guitar building almost disappeared uh, because it had become so factory oriented and you helped bring that back and, and were that generation where there was this sharing of information and people finding things out. And that's why we have this abundance of, of wonderfully made guitars now. Um, is because people like you figured things out and shared that information with as many people as possible. That's so beautiful. I'm just not going to say anything. Well, <laughs> and, and for anybody who hasn't taken the tour, one of the lines mm -hmm. you have is we'll show you everything we do to build a guitar here. And if you want to take it home and build your own, you are welcome to do it. Um. <laughs> that in 40 years of practice. Well, well we do. We yeah. show the most, uh, uh, we show the biggest companies in the world through here. And when they find out how we make uh, better sounding, better playing, better looking guitars, they're disappointed yeah. because they can't put that methodology into their uh, price target way of making guitars. Right. And so really our stuff is safe right. in, in that sense. Uh, plus it's fun. Yeah. You know, I love the discovery. So a couple of questions that I kind of was wondering about, and this, there's a lot of discussion about what the saddle and the bridge adds to the tone of a guitar. Now, should that be part of the string discussion as opposed to the instrument discussion? I mean, the, the, the saddle obviously is the primary contact point to bring that energy from that string into the guitar. It's definitely a string discussion. Okay. And a guitar discussion all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but as far as the string, you're right, this, the saddle acts as the lever that's actually pushing down on the top, that rocking back and forth motion. Mm -hmm. The tension directly, the, how tall the saddle is actually changes the relation that it torques. The, the, I, the, I think the that's what I was trying torques. to ask with the setup mm -hmm. question. Yeah, was. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, so that, it, it does directly uh, relate, which is why um, you, we, we do try to keep the the saddle the same height every single time because we want to keep that relationship constant where we actually manipulate all of that is before the neck is even in the body so when we're when we're about to glue up the neck to the body we get all the geometry right so that we can make sure that our saddle we don't have to touch it we, we have it at a very specific height we don't have to touch it so that way the strings can actually uh, torque the bridge in a very specific way right. um, and you know in every single direction uh, because it's not just the torque it's it's the side to the side the front to the back you know yeah. as, as the energy goes yeah. through so yeah it's it's both in the luthery and the strings all together but, but you also are setting that up just a little bit on the high side so that if somebody likes you know 
really low buzzy action. They have that ability to, well, to take also, it down. Also, when the guitar is initially strung up and put under tension, there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make some corrections. It's going to go, it's going to default to its natural uh, shape. So if anything, uh, the action is going to need to be lowered after the guitar is yeah. out there for a little bit. But here's something to help you a lot. And this is where a lot of scientists fall short. They test this model conceptually, come up with a conclusion, but they forgot to do it, test it on the guitar. Right? right. So uh, we're measuring, uh, you know, where it counts, where we want the final word on it. We're measuring this on the guitar, so we're considering the saddle and, and, and all of that stuff. We do have a degree of control over the parts of sound of the guitar and what materials that we use, um, uh, the height of the saddle, the angle of the saddle, uh, etc. So uh, those are our variables. Um, so we don't want to build our strings for one or two particular variables, right? right. But we do want to take in consideration uh, the mechanics and the geometry of what happens when the string anchors in the top, pulls up, goes across the saddle and pushes down. Mm -hmm. So that's really the, the point we're after. So that really should answer the question. Yeah, we'll test on the guitar okay. rather than, uh, than without it. And then the other question I had was, uh, What's unique to me with the Santa Cruz strings is, is there's no hole in the ball end. That's right. Um, is there... Um, well, I, I'm going to turn this around not to be uh, facetious or, or flip, but why in the world would you uh, make a string with a hole in it and make it out of this uh, cheap uh, <laughs> industrial byproduct? You mm -hmm. know, it's like the ball end is probably the, less thought, the least thought through part on a string okay. and you look at the ball ends on that and you go wow that took some extra effort you know um, it's solid it's polished it's not like a uh, yeah there's some thought that goes into that okay okay so thought goes into that it allows for a more precise wrap which you remember gives longevity to the string uh -huh, and okay. and this is this might uh, be something if I said it it helps with the integrity just the integrity of the string the sustain and the longevity you go how in the world could that well uh, we do these things on a guitar where it's it's the combination of several things that we do that get the thing that's audible and if we took one of those out, we probably wouldn't get those results, right? So yeah. the solid ball end is, is really part of the thought process of making a, a, a higher, a more precise manufacture and longevity and sustain. Okay. And then, you know, the, the, the one thing we're going to That should ask, throw you off the track. The, <laughs> <laughs> Why do you call it parabolic tension? Well, there's a real reason for that. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that when we when we made the strings, uh, we could call them Santa Cruz strings, but they're so different in in both the the idea of of tension uh, and and the scientific process that we went through. We wanted to provoke people, I should say, evoke <laughs> people into into going. Well, what what's what's that about? Rather than just assuming that Santa Cruz, like everybody, had repackaged, you know, D'Addario, Guild, uh, GHS string. And uh, it has to do with science, and it has to do with equalization. Rick, you want to give, you want to wow him with an explanation of that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so when we, when we talk about parabolic 
really it's a parabolic curve as far as the tensions go. So if you put, them, put the strings on a graph where you have just, just number them one through six, strings mm -hmm. one, two, mm -hmm. three, four, five, six, and you look at the different tensions, you'll see it actually, they go in a curve pattern where the, the bass has a lower tension, the treble has a lower tension, and it increases as it goes towards the middle, towards the middle two strings. Um, and there's actually a real good reason for that. Um, two reasons, actually. The first is that imagine you have a string at a specific tension, let's call it 20 pounds. And then the string next to it is 30 pounds. Um, and then you play them both at the same time. That string with the 30 pounds is going to have more torque and control over the bridge than the one with 20 pounds. It's overpowering that string because of its tension. Now, add another 30 pound on the other side and you play all three, that 20 pounds really isn't adding much to the equation. Those two 30 pound strings are overtaking both of those and that, that, it's, that string itself is not moving the bridge as much as the other two 30 pound strings. So you want to have the strings in a relation that they don't overpower each other as far as their tension on the bridge itself. For that reason, you could say again, why wouldn't you just make them all uh, one tension all the yeah, way across? You know, why don't you do, you know, uh, tons of tension to no tension and just have a straight linear line? Well, the reason is it's all back to those equal loudness contours where we hear higher frequencies louder. So that means we have to bring the treble down to make the strings sound equal. But what about the bass? If, if, we, if we hear, uh, you know, lower frequencies softer, not as loud, why is the bass less? Shouldn't that be more? Well, the reason being is it's actually in the manufacturing of the string. So because the string is, is thicker, uh, you know, a heavier gauge generally, or the string um, has a heavier unit weight, that inherently increases the tension of it. It actually adds tension because of those aspects and those variables. Mm -hmm. So you actually have to bring, because that heavy, thick string, you have to actually bring the tension down to make up for the fact of, of the manufacturing of it. So now we have the bass and the treble are both lower tensions than the middle, and then it naturally goes in the parabolic curve. And that was kind of a, you know, Every time we run the test of uh, equal feel, equal loudness, uh, full sustain, everything just automatically goes to parabolic. It, it's like we don't even have to really force it into that shape. It just goes into that shape. Cool, uh, huh? So, so the parabolic tension applies to the set, the not set. to the individual string, but to the, no, the way the individual set strings works are with that. the yeah. Here's a, here's a good mnemonic device for a lot of these questions is, uh, Tension is like a mini volume control, right? right? You raise the tension, you raise the volume, uh, and, and conversely, you lower the tension, you lower the volume. Uh, so it could be used as a, in a recording term. Uh, give me a, a, a parabolic EQ on this song. I'll be, manipulate the instruments the way we want to hear them later. You know, yeah. I can boost this, do that. Um, so a parabolic uh, EQ would be the term for uh, I don't know if I can it is correct, but give me, give it to me flat, you know, and then we'll add it. Likewise with the guitar, we want the parabolic tension to allow the guitar to speak in its right, natural right. EQ. Got it. Um, uh, it. People do that all the time, and you know, like what kind of strings you use? Oh, I use three different sets. I throw a couple away because the guitar I play just doesn't have any. It doesn't have the umph in the bass, so I put a, a 58 on the bass, and you know, right, right. and I mix this up. Uh, that's a personalized EQ. We want the guitar to speak in its its natural voice or EQ. Right. Whew. 
Yeah, no, no. It, I think that a lot of the time people have guitars that the 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 EQ of the guitar isn't what they want, so they're trying to compensate mm -hmm. by trying all these different string sure. combinations and or you know maybe even changing out bridge pins. I know mm -hmm. that there's some people and that they swear don't know by the terminology, or yeah. certainly don't know the scientific terminology. But what they're doing there is they're modifying the tone, the brighter, the dark, by using a brass bridge pin versus an ebony and they're altering the EQ by increasing the tensions. So they're pretty good scientists. They couldn't write a paper about it, but, right, right, but right. they get but what they, they need. They know what they hear, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's, that's exactly what we're responding yeah, I, to. I was gonna say, you know, the one thing that I have a couple of friends that uh, those of us who are getting a little grayer around the edges, uh, they might be excited to hear that you'd make Vitamin a set C. That's, that's a little brighter on the, uh, the treble so that they can hear them. <laughs> But that's just a couple of friends. Now that that's that, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know one person's impressed with the proceedings. Are we? All right. So um, I can't. I guess you know I, we've covered a lot of stuff with strings there. It's, there's still a lot that I'm kind of absorbing here. Well, let's um, do this again. Well, if we need to, we need to. I think that that maybe you know going into the bridge and bridge pins and the other aspects of it there would be you know particularly helpful to kind of round out the, the thing because you, as with all things with the guitars, you can't take any one piece of it and think that you understand the whole. I've heard the, quite the contrary on the internet. Oh, well, yes, <laughs> there is a... Uh, you you know, know, the uh, I, I love this, Ted, Richard, the, the opportunity to speak in um, uh, real scientific terms, uh, or I should say this, to talk about the uh, results of scientific inquiry, uh, proper scientific method, and no, we're not talking about opinions, we're talking about how things really work. And that's really refreshing because most of our information, you know, when you ask a question on the internet, you don't get expert opinion, you get <laughs> you get a lot of people's opinions and you sort through to see what looks to be the most accurate. So that's always my promise in these discussions is I'll stick to physics or scientific inquiry and if I'm going to stray into opinion or I have no choice, I'll warn you first. Yeah, well and, and, and it's worth noting that, that just because you know a certain tension or a certain flatness of EQ or something in general works, there are people out there who are going to say I prefer to hear this or I prefer to hear that. Um, That's why we make more than one kind of guitar. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, we also touched on how the guitar works, and I made the um, interesting statement that <laughs> since Santa Cruz has complete control over how the guitar sounds, let's pause there and people go, really? Yeah. Um, and that's science. That's not, uh, that's not a marketing uh, boast. Um, uh, it can be done. It takes more time, it's more expensive, it puts most people out of their price range, and that's why you see such variety in, in other name brands. Yeah. And I'll, I'll uh, stop right there before I get in trouble. Oh, well, no, no, you won't get in trouble. So, we, yeah, we got, we got reason to get together again. All right. I, I hope everybody that listens to this understands what they just really heard. <laughs> in, in reality, that we really are dealing with science. We're not dealing with somebody's opinion here. We're really dealing with how the physical properties of the universe work. And Amen. that is absolutely a flag in the ground that we just don't see or hear. And this kind of information, it, 
listen to this a couple of times, folks, because uh, <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> this is uh, this is something you can really put your head down on the pillow at night and say, "Yeah, this that's not what." Willie thinks, but <laughs> you know, it, it might be what's actually true. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, I'm. Yeah, we're we're going to go deeper in this, I'm sure. Oh yeah. And uh, well, it's always fun to get into these things and to, to discuss them from the perspective of the science and and such, rather than from the perspective of the marketing and the opinion. Um, and that's why this is fun. I mean, this is why. I, I love coming down here and talking to Richard, and, and it's great meeting Rick. I mean, this is this has been now you know I can sound smart. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> I need one of them got, at my work. I got science coaches. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think we're going to call that a wrap for today. Uh, thank you, Mr. Newman on the headphones for controlling everything, and thank you, Rick, for joining us and, and describing and explaining as much as you did. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be more questions. We may have to pull you out of the back room on another occasion. <laughs> you can be to, sure. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, demystify a few more things for us. Mm. Richard, as always, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to talk with us and to share your, your knowledge and your experience with everybody. Um, like I said, anybody who has a chance to get to Santa Cruz or to get to California or to get to the West Coast, uh, make sure that you include the stop at Santa Cruz Guitar because it is uh, oh, probably one of the best places we have out here. Ah, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, you know, thanks, Ted. Thanks, <clears throat> Richard. Uh, you know, I always feel at home with you guys, and uh, this is a delight for me. Have a beautiful Thanksgiving. Oh, yes. Fulfilling indeed. And I'll sure look forward to next time we get together. All right. Thank you, everybody. And It'll be like uh, the Hindenburg we'll landing. Okay, Chad. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Please spread the word to other guitar players who you think would enjoy listening. For more information about the topics we discussed, as well as to get the links to the artist reference today, you can also make suggestions for future podcasts or submit questions that we might pose to Richard Hoover and his team. The Santa Cruz Coffee Break is a special project by members of the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum and is solely the opinion of those speaking. The Santa Cruz Coffee Break is hosted, produced, and engineered by the Tadman Group. Keep on playing and come back next month.